Welcome to the Women in Oxford's History podcast series. I'm Alison. I'm Olivia. And in each podcast, we explore the life of a woman who's had an impact on the city, then talk to the researcher who's been delving into her past. For more information on all the women featured in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. This podcast explores the life and impact of Rose Potter Claribet, who was matron of the Radcliffe Infirmary for almost 30 years, between 1849 and 1878. During this time, she helped attend patients injured in the notorious Shipton Rail accident of Christmas Eve 1874. Rose was born in Southampton in around 1812. She was the daughter of Edward Claribet, a Royal Naval Lieutenant, and his wife Harriet, and had five siblings. By the age of 28, Rose was recorded in the census as working at the Royal Hospital at Hasler in Hampshire, a naval hospital which had opened almost a century earlier. The first nurses were sailors' widows who lived in the local area of Gosport. In the era before Florence Nightingale began to reform the image of the profession, nurses were often seen as incompetent and untrained, even dirty and drunk. Hasler's nurses were fined if they did not carry out their duties properly. It was not until 1884 that the Naval Nursing Service was formed, introducing trained nurses to Hasler and to Plymouth. Rose first became associated with the hospital through her father, though the nature of her involvement is unclear as she doesn't appear on the staff lists. Nevertheless, when she applied to work at the Radcliffe Infirmary at Oxford in 1849, she cited her work at Gosport as evidence of her experience. She claimed that it had given her every opportunity of acquiring practical knowledge of a matron's duty in all its branches, and referred to her intimacy with its matron. In her job application, she promised to fulfil her prospective duties at the Radcliffe Infirmary with energy, activity and faithfulness. Rose's application was successful, and she was offered the position of matron on a yearly salary of £42. The Radcliffe Infirmary, which opened in 1770, was at the southern end of Woodstock Road on the western side, backing onto Walton Street. It closed to patients in 2007 and was redeveloped by the University of Oxford as part of the Radcliffe Observatory Quarter. It has been described as Oxford's first modern hospital. During the Victorian period, it was supported through charitable gifts and subscriptions and operated for patients from the poorer classes. In the 1870s, the nurses were not trained, but taken from what was known as the superior servant class. Despite some of the negative stereotypes surrounding nursing, evidence suggests that matrons at the Radcliffe Infirmary were highly regarded and held to a high standard. One matron was dismissed for failing to discover that a female patient had come in pregnant and concealed the birth. The hospital's rules include prohibitions against swearing and playing cards, and it's likely the atmosphere would have been quite a change for Rose after serving at a naval hospital, where the nurses were reputed to smuggle alcohol through the sewers. The matron was responsible for the domestic running of the hospital and was meant to keep the environment spotless. She was also in charge of the nursing staff. She worked alongside the hospital's house surgeon apothecary. The fact that they could not be both absent at the same time is testament to the importance of the matron's role. Between 1870 and 74, when Dr Palmer was house surgeon, Rose left the infirmary only once in order to give evidence in a police case. The matron's 24-7 presence made her particularly vigilant and she was called to testify against a hospital porter accused of stealing. 
1870, Dr. Palmer described Rose as a dear old lady, beloved by everyone and deservedly so. He portrayed her as a strong churchwoman who could name all the bishops and parsons for miles around and who was beloved by the clergy. He suggested that she was living for her work and nothing else. Palmer also remarked that she was very, very conservative and resented innovation of any kind. The biggest change she introduced while at the infirmary was employing younger women aged between 25 and 35 as nurses, rather than older women. During Rose's tenure, one of the biggest incidents at the hospital was the Shipton Rail accident of Christmas Eve 1870. The 10.02 Great Western Railway Express train from Paddington to Birkenhead was involved in a crash near Shipton on Charwell, not far from Kidlington, 15 minutes after it had left Oxford Station. 26 people died at the scene, and many more were injured, some of whom would later lose their lives. A special train was put on to transport the injured back to Oxford. Around 50 were taken to the Radcliffe Infirmary, while others were taken to nearby hotels, including the Randolph Hotel and Jones's Railway Hotel on Park End Street. In total, the death count from the accident was 34, making it the worst disaster of the time. Soon after the crash, a subscription was set up to support the patients. Known as the Shipton Fund, its committee consisted of representatives from the city and the governors of the infirmary. Donations came in from Queen Victoria and her son, Prince Leopold, who would open the hospital's children's ward three years later. Rose's role in tending to the injured from the Shipton accident was widely praised by her colleagues in the local community. Dr Liddell, the Dean of Christchurch Cathedral, would later recall how on visiting the hospital he found the patients were well attended. He remarked that there was no bustle, no excitement, everything was done with a quiet gentleness and order by the nurses under our excellent matron. All staff assisted, the Dean noted, but the responsibility for organisation fell upon the matron, Miss Rose Clarabet. He also recognised that the accident was no slight demand on the resources of a country hospital. The hospital's governors praised the actions of the matron and the hospital surgeon. Dr Liddell told the Times, I should be glad to claim some acknowledgement for our excellent matron, Miss Clarabet. When Rose died some four years later, her obituary in Jackson's Oxford Journal, the local newspaper, suggested that many hospitals would perhaps have failed under such a severe trial. That the Radcliffe Infirmary did not was owing mainly to her promptitude and presence of mind. Her obituary also described her as a hard worker, who never gave herself much time for rest or refreshment. In the year of her death, it had been recommended that the matron be relieved of most of her housekeeping duties to concentrate on nursing. The obituary commented that she was most conscientious in performing all duties and that she did everything with a bright, cheerful demeanour. The obituary estimated that she had cared for 30,000 sick and suffering poor during her time at the infirmary. Although she would have received little training for the job, it seems that her attitude towards patient care was exemplary for her time. Fittingly, she died at the Radcliffe Infirmary on the 5th of January 1879, in the place she had spent most of her working life. A memorial fund established after her death raised enough money to buy dedicated wheeled litters, an early form of stretcher, on which to carry injured residents to the infirmary free of charge. A subscription was also set up to pay for a stained glass window in St Luke's Chapel, which survives today.
Olivia and I are here with Hannah Newston, who's been working on the history of Rose Potter Claribert. We know Rose had um, some experience of working in the Royal Naval Hospital before she came to Oxford. But what more do you know about her involvement in this, in the vocation of being a matron? Well, at the Naval Hospital, when she actually applied to work in the Radcliffe firm, Infirmary, uh, she said that she had had time to serve with the matron of the Naval Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her father, who was a lieutenant who served on several ships, he was appointed at the Naval Hospital in Gosport. Uh, so that's probably how she came into the position that she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also her brother um, was appointed as a surgeon in the East India Company. So it seems like the whole family had some sort of a medical connection. And because she was a woman, uh, matron was the highest that she could actually go. Can you tell us a little bit about what life for a matron might have looked like at the time? I mean, we know that Rose lived for her work, but do we know about the free time that she had? And was that any different to the male house surgeons? It was quite different for the matrons. They had a lot more responsibility placed on them. Uh, In uh, one of the books that I read about the history of the Radcliffe, it actually said that the matron was to be constantly resident in the house and watchful over the daily and hourly ministrations of the household in all departments so that any continued absence from her duties for amusement or recreation cannot be permitted. My goodness. So she, uh, but she basically had, she wasn't even allowed time off when she was meant to be on duty 24-7. Yes, it seems that way. A woman came in pregnant, concealed her pregnancy, and had the baby hit it under the bed. Um, when they actually found this out, the matron was dismissed, but the apothecary and the house surgeon, who were also responsible, were only given warnings. Oh, my goodness. So the matron was the one who received the telling off and was fired and lost her job for not being as observant as she should have been. So she had to really be vigilant of everything. The other staff, the patients, the facilities, everything was under her. Yes, uh, she was completely responsible for the nurses. Um, She was the one who appointed them and dismissed them if they were not doing their duty. Uh, Rose actually influenced a change in this and that she made Radcliffe Infirmary. Um, She moved to them hiring the upper servant class between the age of 25 and 35. Um, Before this time, there was actually one nurse who was 75 who was working at the Radcliffe. Um, so they decided that that probably wasn't the best approach anymore. Mm-hmm. So Rose said that they had to be between these certain ages to be in the best ability to fulfill their duties. So the the hospital we know was set up to care for the less well-off in the city. Do you get a sense of what kind of illnesses or conditions people were being treated for and, and what kind of people were using the infirmary? Uh, The hospital itself, it was all run on subscriptions and donations. Uh, So if you had an annual subscription or you were a governor, then if you wanted someone admitted, you could have them admitted. After that, it was on a first-come, first-served basis, Mm -hmm. uh, unless it was an emergency. They were probably treating all sorts of infectious diseases and things like there were a lot more road traffic accidents and it's not really, it, you think that's more of a modern day thing yeah. um, is car accidents, but they had obviously carts, um, which could cause just as much damage. Um, the other thing was there were, it seemed to be a lot more farming incidents or accidents. 
and I thought Oxford was more of an industrial and trade town. Mm. So it was quite interesting to see just how many patients were admitted because of thrashing injuries or other injuries that were related to farming. Do you have any details of the sorts of people that were treated during the Shipton accident? And are there any different people in Oxford that Rose came into contact with? Well, unfortunately, for that time period, the admission and death registers are missing for the Radcliffe Hospital Infirmary. So you aren't able to actually connect which patients from the accident were treated at the hospital. We know that 50 patients were admitted, but we don't know any of their names or much about them. Oh, how frustrating. Um, One of the interesting characters that Rose came into contact with was the Dean of Christchurch at the time, uh, who was Henry George Little. Uh, And if you know his daughter, Alice Little, she was actually the inspiration for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland Mm. by Lewis Carroll. I wondered, has your research into Rose given you um, or changed your perception about Oxford in any way? Well, Rose herself, like we mentioned earlier, she had the nurses change so they weren't employing 75 year old women to change beds and move patients and things like that they started employing younger women who were more able to do the job which of course would have made a big impact on how the hospitals were run and how they were maintained and also the impact on those women would probably have been quite significant so it would have had an economic effect for these women who could have perhaps saved for when they got married themselves, if they were, what, was it 25 to 35? Yes, yeah. So it, her decision may well have had an impact on all those nurses, the lives that they led and the families that they brought up as a result. It's interesting because there's so much written about Florence Nightingale in this period or a little bit later and how she transformed nursing. It's interesting to know about other people who yeah. were pioneering in perhaps their own small ways. Because Florence Nightingale was very well connected, so she's yeah. become quite a well-known figure. But I think Rose sounds like a very remarkable character as well. She very much enjoyed what she was doing. Um, from what people wrote about her and said about her, it seems like she was adored by everyone by everyone she treated she had an impact on their lives and a positive impact um so she wouldn't necessarily have only been this matron character to be feared and held in awe but she was also it seems like she had a very warm side to her personality that where she was able to connect with people for further links and background on all the episodes in the series please go to our website womenofoxford.co.uk thanks for listening 